morning, everybody. Pretty exciting. All those kids are over at uh, Frontier right now, just like we are. They're in just kind of a different shaped room, if you've ever been there. And uh, they have the most amazing speakers. And you, you guys know what I'm talking about. So you know what they're doing right now. And uh, just so cool. It's kind of like the uh, pinnacle of the weekend. And uh, they're just ready to hear the word of God. And so that's exciting. Uh, fully 30% of our middle school and high school went to snow camp this, this year. So um, that's pretty cool. Uh, I don't want to be proud about it, but see if that, ha- see if that happens anywhere else. <laughs> it's so cool. Can you believe these people, Tyler? That was like perfect. So, yeah. <laughs> this week, you know, we had the, uh, this decorating thing going on on Wednesday or I think that was the main day, but Colin and Peyton, two of our 20s, showed up, and they're like, we're here. We've got the tree, you know, and, and I mean, Peyton's about this big. I don't know how in the world they got that tree down from wherever they got it and up here, but good work, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, actually, if you just go up Elk and take a ride on second, I think you'll find where it came from. <laughs> Just slap a tag on it and do it at night. <laughs> we're, at, we're at the last message uh, of this series on Acts. So over the two, we did two series, one last fall and this fall. Uh, and so we've had about 20-something messages on it. And the, the second half here has been the process of these believers who are followers of Christ. They got the, the instruction from Jesus to go out. And this is that process as them leaving their homes and heading out and mostly going north. But they're moving across and they're, they're building the church. They're introducing people to Jesus, telling them about Jesus, something they've never heard before. And in that process, the church is growing in towns all over the place. And so th- this has just been that story. And the last part of it, last few chapters, Luke is describing a lot of things that are happening to Paul, which are leading to the next steps of the gospel going out. So uh, Paul has, what is ha- we're going to be actually, we're going to be in Acts 28, the last two verses of, the, if you want to turn there, the last two verses of the, the book of Acts. And Paul f- felt called by God to go to Jerusalem where he knew there was going to be opposition and he was sure really that he would be arrested somehow. There would be some kind of political religious thing happen. And from there, he uh, is incarcerated for a long time, months and months and months and months, and ends up going to Rome to be accused in Rome because he's a Roman citizen. Some of you may be somewhat familiar with that story, but that's what's happening. And that journey to Rome is like incredible. They go on a ship, they have a shipwreck, he gets bit by a snake, all these things happen. So it's just this whole process, and we're, we're kind of leaping over that to the very end where Paul finds himself in Rome under house arrest. And he is... He's in that, in that uh, society, when you were there, you actually were under house arrest in your own house. So there's some kind of guard there, some watching over him, and he was stuck there. So as we, as we come up to this, and we see Paul in this situation, what I, what I want us to walk away with is, is this, that even from this very uh, limited place that Paul is. All these restrictions are on him. He is arrested. His rights are taken away. Even from that very limited place, Paul 
has an extraordinary impact. Okay? That's where we're going today. This, he does radical things from the most plain setting. In three things that will follow up from that. One is that Paul embraced his setting, his limitations, this place that he was, he embraced that as a venue to communicate about Jesus. We're going to talk about that for a second. We're going to talk about this. He, he, he saw himself and he was a part of something that was much bigger than, him, than himself. And he knew, this is the third one, he knew who was most important. The, the questions come to me when I look at Paul in this situation. I think, how did he do that and why did he do it? How, how did he go about having such an incredible impact in this place under house arrest and why did he do it? And that's what these two little verses, I think, will unfold for us. Because he, he sees his place, his limitations, as an opportunity, as a venue to go forward. Right? And he sees himself as a part of something much bigger. And he knows who is most important. And that's what we're going to unfold as we go through this. Now, let me say this. In, in our room right here, I think this message is really aimed at people who are following Christ. If you know him, if you've, if you've come to that point where you have stepped across the line of faith and realized that you cannot be reconciled to God on your own, that you have to have Jesus and then when he died on the cross, he took your place and made possible the connection between you and the one God of the universe. If you're that person in here, this is for you. If you are, have not done that, if you're still exploring, you're like, I don't know, I'm trying to think about this. I'm not sure where I am on this whole thing. This is a good chance for you to see someone who lives out what it is to follow Christ. And so I'd encourage you, just watch just this little bit, this little snippet of Paul's life and be encouraged by that and, and just see what it means to you. So, let's read this together. This is Acts 28, 30 and 31. 30 through 31. So Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So let's start with that idea of him embracing his limitations and treating them as a venue to do exactly what he's been called to do. Uh, you know, being, being under arrest, I don't know how many of you have been there before. That's another story for me. But you really lose your rights. You know, someone else is in charge of you. And that is a place where uh, a lot of us, myself included, would tend to say, there's nothing I can do. I'm locked down. I'm, I'm locked down. I'm, I'm useless. But that's not how Paul takes this. I, you know, I remember this happened to me in middle school, and I can tell this because the middle school kids aren't here today. I got sent to the office, and Back then, when you got sent to the office, way back in those dark ages, they didn't give you a star and a hug. Okay? They gave you something else, right, Nate? You remember that? I know you were there. <laughs> By the way, everybody, Nate is back. So thankful. 
so much fun to have him with us. Uh, I, I vividly remember this. My mom having to come pick me up from school. And I remember being in the principal's office, the mean principal, and looking out the window and seeing that Mercury station wagon. It was like <laughs> 19 feet long with the wood on the side. Pull up. And here comes my mom into the office. How many, how many of you guys, girls don't tell me, how many of you guys have been there? <laughs> I'm watching her come in. And I mean, it was, I mean, the look, the whole thing that she gave me as we went to my locker to get my stuff and go home. And here's what she did. She did the ultimate mom thing. She said, you're going to sit in your room till your dad comes home. (laughs) Moms, I use it because I remember that period of like two or three hours more than I remember. I don't remember what happened to me, but I remember waiting for my dad. (laughs) It was horrible. And, And so, you know, I was locked down. You know, and this is the, this is not, I mean, that's a funny way to say it, but this is the kind of place that Paul has been stuck into. He is, he is in a place where his rights are taken away and what can he do? What can, he's in a rented house in some kind of, you know, suburb. He's not wealthy. So he's stuck away in Rome somewhere. He's a, pers- a persona non grata and he's under house arrest. What can he do? And this is the thing. I think spiritually believers here, we put ourselves in that place. We say, well, what can I do? No, you're not, if you're in here, you're not under arrest, right? So we're not going to talk about that. But we say, well, oh, I don't have the gifts of so-and-so. Or I have all this brokenness in my life. Or I've done this, that, and, and these, you know, I've already messed that up. Or what if I say the wrong thing? Or I don't know enough and all that. So we actually put ourselves in a place where we feel powerless. Do you see what I mean? I think that that is something that we need to remove ourselves from and realize that God has put us. um, I always lean on this passage that that says that, that God uses the weak for his glory. And I just tell myself that over and over again. It's not about what I have or haven't done or how good I am or not. I, I can't see my limitations as making it impossible for God to use me or to follow Christ well. I can't see that. So that's the start. You know, here's another thing. If, you've, if you're thinking hard about this, Paul has gone to Rome, and they've been going to these towns that aren't really the ends of the earth. Do you remember when Jesus told them, I want you to go from Jerusalem, you know, your home, then to Judea, which is just outside of that, and I want you to go to Samaria, which none of them wanted to do, and then they said, he said, go to the ends of the earth. Well, Paul, Rome is not the ends of the earth. It's the middle. It's the very heart of everything. So what is he doing? Think about that for a sec. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's going out. He's going in. But what could be more strategic than going to the heart of all the ideas, of the movement of ideas, of trade and, and political power and military power, and bringing the gospel there so that it can go out. It was incredibly strategic. I mean, Paul started the Roman church from being incarcerated. How's that for using your limitations? <laughs> I think he wrote four of the, the letters that we have in the scripture from that place. Uh, and here's the cool thing. If Rome was strategic on a, you know, global scale, tell me that Crested Butte is not strategic 
on at least a national scale. Tell me that. How many people have you met from all over this country that are like, would have coffee and go skiing with you anytime? It's, it is so easy to strike up a friendship. We are not incarcerated. We have all of these gifts to help us uh, build relationship and actually uh, follow Christ in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth because people come here to be renewed, refreshed, reconciled, built up, encouraged. What's the best thing we can give them? What's better than all the mountains, the glory, the beauty, the incredible sunrise, the skiing and everything else? The gospel. And we have it. But we can't keep it, you know, in here, in these little chairs, little purple chairs. Here's another thing it says in verse 30, the second part of that. It says that he welcomed all who came to him. If you ever wanted the simplest instruction on how to follow Jesus, the simplest thing, I think it's this. It's, it's right there. Welcome everyone who comes to you. I mean, think about it. I was talking to my friend Sean last night, and he said, you know, it's, it's amazing when we look at who Jesus befriended and who came to Jesus, who gathered around him. Who were those people? The poor, the wealthy, the broken, the ill, prostitutes, religious leaders. You can go on and on and on. Everybody. And he welcomed those who came to him. Right? What a simple thing to think to myself. And my little tool bag of what it is to be a Christian is, ah, welcome everyone who comes to me. Welcome everyone, wherever I am. I'm not in a house. I'm not locked in a house. Wherever I am, I can welcome everyone who comes to me. I, uh, I've, I've noticed this about our town. And mostly, I think you all who are here are locals or close to it. You guys really aren't, right? Locals. But that's okay. Because you have a local town. Uh, Crested Butte is like a high school. Okay? Do you remember this? And you guys know this right now, maybe. You go into the lunchroom, and that's, this is where the high school breaks down into the different groups. In, in my high school, we had the Ropers. Yeah. And then we had the Freaks. And then we had the, the athletes and, the, and the, uh, the, the cheerleaders, the preppy people, yeah. And you guys know what I'm talking about. There's, and that's how, you know, you could really see it. In the classroom, you couldn't see it so much. But when you got into the lunchroom, it was like, you know, everybody was in their groups. Everyone was segregated. And everyone was measuring themselves against everyone else. I tell you, I don't care how old you are in here. We still do that. We are measuring ourselves against everyone we meet and see. We do it all the time. It, now, let's just admit it and, and say, hey, it's natural. But the difference is, and these are the people I loved in high school. And this is what I love about young life and our leaders in young life. They it practiced loving and welcome, well, let's just call it this, welcoming everyone. They could go between the groups, you know? I wasn't that kind of person. I wanted to be, and I saw that. They could go between the groups because they welcomed everyone. There wasn't judgment. And that's what Paul does. He welcomes everyone. And I think that's just a, a simple way to say, hey, as believers, how do we follow Christ well? Okay, what's the first thing I can do when I go out these doors and I go down the street? Welcome everyone. Everyone. So, all right, so Paul embraced his limited limitations, his limited platform, his really poor venue for getting the gospel to go out to people 
and turn that into something completely different. But secondly, he knew that he was a, a part of something that was much bigger than himself. And if you look at verse 31, right at the beginning, it says what he was doing was he was, pro, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God. There's something about him that always resonates with me, and that's that he always seemed to have the big picture in mind. He was never focused on the little details. He would do things about the details. He would raise money. He would help people. He would feed people. He, all these things that Paul did. But always the platform or the, the foundation and the whole big thing for him was that he saw the big picture. He saw the big picture, and that was, what he, that was really the wave that he rode on. He saw himself as a citizen of God's kingdom first, not man's. And that changes everything about how we live and how we absorb things, how we view things in our worldview. He had that big picture first. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, I don't know how that comes across. If you've been a Christian or been in the church all the time, when somebody says the kingdom of God, you're like, okay. But if you, if you haven't been, and we start talking about kingdoms, we're like, what is a kingdom? All right. Now, we do have two English ladies in here who I think would probably prefer that they were still in a kingdom here. No offense, Rosies, but I'm kidding. Uh, we, for us as Americans, at least, that doesn't resonate too well. But in that culture, in that time, in the ancient culture, it absolutely resonated that when, when Paul said, was talking about the kingdom of God, they understood. And they knew this, that in a kingdom, there is someone who has absolute power, and I have nothing to say about it. They are absolutely in control. This person is the king, and there is nothing I can do except for recognize that that person, they are over everything. And when Paul talks about the kingdom of God and, and starts to, uh, and that's part of his message in realizing his citizenship, then what he is talking about is that there is one ruler over all things. It's beyond all created things. It's over all created things, that kingdom. And, and that's the place that we're, we're talking about. That's what this kingdom means. There's a couple aspects of it, though, that I want to just point out. One is that there is a present sense of the kingdom of God. In creation, in the heavens, the order of the world, everything, that, that kingdom is broken by sin, was broken by our decision to break relationship with God. And in, in that place, we are the clay to the potter. That's that pres- this is that present kingdom that Paul's talking about. But there's another piece of the kingdom that he's talking about and he's trying to bring. And that's this kingdom that is the restoration and the reconciliation of all men and all things to God. To bring the kingdom to people. So that's what Paul is doing when he is bringing the gospel and reuniting people, reconciling people to Jesus, through Jesus to God. What he is doing is he is bringing the kingdom to this, to this place. That's part of this, this he, he's communicating the economy, the, the structure that he lives under, his worldview. And, and here's, here's the thing, I, I have this dream, this thing that keeps coming up in my mind, and I've mentioned it to our young adults a few times, but I really believe, you know, when I open the paper here at Crested Butte, mostly what I see is dissension, right? If you want to kind of get messed up, you know, now the paper has tons of great stuff, 
you know, I love reading the paper, I always do, but there, what it reflects, what it brings out a lot of times is that there's dissension about, and you can pick your topic, right? Just pick it. I mean, look at how many people are here. This is fully 10% of the population of our town, okay? Can we not have an impact and bring the kingdom, which is peace, which is, in the Old Testament, they call it shalom, which is bringing the heart of God in restoration and reconciliation to the community. Can we not do that? I mean, there are people in this room that are involved in every area of this place. You know? I just have this dream, this idea that that could happen. You know, that we could bring, we could be part, not, I'm not talking about having a Christian town, like a big private school. (laughs) Come on, that's not what this is about. Well, we, this is a place where people come and we want to, they need, what if they saw more peace and, and restorative just a health, you know, that reflects the kingdom of God. That would be incredible. Giving and loving, sharing, welcoming people who are suffering and struggling. We, that's what we are about, right? What if we brought that here? Okay, that's just, I could, get, I could go on for a while, so we'll stop right there so you get the idea. But you know, this idea of proclaiming, when it says that word proclaiming, Paul is, I love the, that word there because he says, he's, what, he's, what he's communicating is the urgency that Paul feels towards making sure people have heard about Jesus. Because Paul is an urgent dude. Have you noticed that? He is on it all the time. Urgent sounds a little bit like he's got a a bladder problem, but uh, (laughs) that's not what I mean. This guy is, uh, he he sees, let me put it this way. He's not hoping that people kind of absorb the fact that he knows Jesus. Like, oh, he didn't lie. He must know Jesus. No, Paul has an urgency to communicate the truth and he finds ways to do it even when he's got these limited surroundings. That's, that's the thing, he's limited, but he sees that as a possibility, as, as opening the doors, but he also sees that he's a part of something much bigger and that's the kingdom of God. So that, that's two things. The third one is, that, is this, is that he knew who was most important. And when you know who is most important, it, it flips things over a little bit for you, it changes life. Look at, uh, look at verse 31. So Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, Paul had answered this question we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, and it's this, who is Jesus? He knew who Jesus was. He had answered that question. C.S. Lewis puts it out like this. He says, when you look at Jesus and you want to say, who is he? You only have three options. There are only three things you can decide about who Jesus is. And this is what what C.S. Lewis says. He says, he's either who he said he was, Lord, or he's liar, or he's lunatic. Those are the only options. You don't have other options. There's no in-between on these. So let's think about it. So Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. I am the Son of God. I'm going to take your sin away and reconcile you to God, if you believe. Now, if that's true, those are really nice things to say. But if it's not true, we only have two options then. One is that he's intently, purposefully deceiving us. Is that who Jesus is? A, a deceiver? Is he a liar? You, you and I have to decide that. 
Is he a liar? Is he crazy? Because other people who say, I'm the son of God, you have to evaluate, are they crazy or is it true? Right? We have to do the same thing with Jesus. He's either the Lord, it's either who he said he was, he's nuts, or he's a liar. You got to decide. And you might as well decide and say it in your heart. It's, not, it's just not in between. He didn't give us that option. So Jesus, for Paul, was who everything was about because he had decided that Jesus was the Lord. You know, you saw that. He says he's, he's teaching the Lord. He's teaching about the Lord Jesus with boldness. And that, this is the thing I think, I hope will empower us just a little bit because when I look at Paul, I'm like, well, he might have been able to turn a bad situation into something good, but that's Paul. That's not me, you know? So I... You know, and I get that. It's, I do that exact thing. But I want you to, did you have Acts 4.13? Did you, did you put that up? These are, this is a little bit about some of the other guys who are going out and taking the gospel at the beginning of Acts. Look what it says. When they saw the boldness, this is the people they were ministering to, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And here's the deal, and this is what should encourage us if you're a believer. And they recognized that those people had been with Jesus. That's what changes everything. Being with Jesus changes everything. It empowers you to be something that you don't think you could ever be, that I don't think I could be. I don't have to be Paul. None of us are Paul, probably. There might be somebody that's kind of like Paul, but that's okay. God's created us all different. Nevertheless, we can all welcome everyone, right? They recognized that they'd been with Jesus. It wasn't about gifting or maturity, brokenness, ability to speak, ability to you know, have all the answers or anything else. They'd been with Jesus. So I hope that as we go out the doors and we go out and walk to our car and, and take off in the rest of the week, uh, this is especially true for myself, that we will not see the limitations that we have, whatever, whether they're real or ones that we make up, as keeping us from, having, from following Christ, from introducing people to Jesus. It can be done. And amazing things can happen when you take those limitations off yourself and see them as a platform to move out for him. Um, so I'm going to pray for us for that. And then uh, we'll have a little bit of time to fellowship. God, I, I come to you right now with my friends and uh, family and all kinds of folks here this morning. And we just, uh, Lord, we, we come before you and admit that we wrestle with following you. God, with really believing uh, what Jesus said about who he was. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts, uh, take us in that direction where we face that question. And Lord, when we see, when we make that decision, which you've allowed us to make, is of whether or not we believe that Jesus is Lord. Lord, when we make that decision, um, Lord, if we choose to follow and to believe, God, let us um, never look at our limitations as imprisonment, but an opportunity. 
God, may you be the one that we key everything off of as we look to your kingdom and attempt to bring that kingdom to the places that we are, whether it be our heart, our family, our community, our world, our state, wherever we are, this, this, every place that you take us. God, thank you for each person that's here. You have every single person here for a reason with you. So, uh, Lord, now as we just hang out for a few minutes together, uh, let us connect and, and care for each other well. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a great week, y'all.